Open up your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to pick back up where we left off. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Actually, let's start with verse 6. Uh, because that will tie us right in here and where we left off last week. So, now these things, brethren, Paul speaking here, I figuratively transfer to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. Now, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you do not receive? Now, if you, do, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now, let me, let's just take one verse at a time here, and we'll go through this. As we start off here, we started back in chapter 4 here last week. We saw that... Paul had shifted from what it means to have a healthy local church growth and to grow healthy as a family, as a church, according to the ways of the Lord. When we got into chapter 4, he switched to now, what are the characteristics or what are the responsibilities of the minister, the servant, that is leading that body? What is it? What does that what does he look like? What is it, the responsibilities? What are some of the characters? What are some of the views you should have, a healthy views? Because as we know, here in 1 Corinthians, they were having a division within the church in Corinth because people started creating cliques. They started having their own little groups. And there, these groups would gather together, and oh, they were having great fellowship. But what was happening was, is they were causing actual division and not as a whole, because the body is good to be as a whole and to fellowship as a whole, and not to separate and segregate in any form or fashion. Only the hand is going to stay over here. The feet can't be here. They have to be over there. The head, we're always the head, so why don't we be over here, but the, the tail end cannot be near us. We'll serve only as long as it's the right thumb then that's all that matters, right? But the body has to be together because if you separate a body part, what cause, what happens? Pain. <laughs> there's, there's problems when you have a problem in a division within the body. And so what was causing the division, as we've been learning here in the first few chapters, is that they were picking and choosing their leaders. I'm a Paul, I'm an Apollos, I'm a, I'm a Cephas or Peter. They were picking and choosing who they liked and who seemed to be more like-minded that they were more comfortable with, which was then causing a division versus looking at this is the body of Christ and we should not be picking our favorite little preacher or teacher and causing problems and, and division from that. And that's what we see even today. Nothing new under the sun, is it? There still happens today, and even we're, we're very subtle. Now, don't get me wrong. We have our favorite, little, our favorite teachers that we just, oh, I just love when I hear him teach. But it shouldn't cause division by saying, oh, you listen to him? Well, you should really not be going over there. You should really be going to this church or 
You should really, don't go church at all. You should really just listen to all the different teachers online only. You know, there's always a subtleness of, that could cause confusion or division among the body, and that's what we sh- cannot have happen. And we have to take responsibility for that and to say, no, Lord, I'm, just, I want, I'm, I'm seeking after you. I'm not seeking after man. See, that's, that's the subtleness right there, right? When anytime we put our eyes onto man, there's going to be division. Anytime you put your eyes on yourself and what you want will cause division. What we want is to say, Lord, what do you have for me? What is the truth? And how would help me, Holy Spirit, to apply it to my life so that I can live a godly life that's pleasing to you? That's our mindset. That is our heart. That's what we, we worship. That's what we do is we honor and worship him and not man. But here's the problem here because now Paul is having to address this and, these, and highlight the responsibilities of this minister because they had different expectations for that minister. They wanted certain things a certain way that makes them happy versus what was the truth and what God would make God happy in regards to that minister or that leader. So last week we saw that the servant is a steward, a manager of resources, manager of people, manager of overseeing the body of Christ that God has appointed him over. That shepherd is to watch that flock. The shepherd is to take care of that flock. The shepherd is, but here's the first responsibility or characteristic that Paul talked about last week, and that is that steward was to be faithful. That was the key indicator of a good steward is that they were faithful in doing what God has called them to do. They weren't swayed by the family. That steward did exactly what the master wanted, not what the spouse wanted, not what the children wanted, not what the other brothers and sisters and the kissing cousins and everybody else who seems to have an influence over you. But that was not going to sway the steward. To be obedient to what the master had called him to do, and that stayed focused. So faithfulness was the very first responsibility or that characteristic of a minister. Now today we're going to see two more. One is going to be on humbleness. We're going to be a spectacle we'll see uh, uh, that God will make a minister a spectacle or a witness to many who's watching. That minister needs to be humble in that, in that in the responsibility as a minister. And we will see the third one, and at the very end in verses 14 through 21, we will see that they need to be a father, a loving father. That is a responsibility or a characteristic of a minister within the body. And we will see that in verses 14 through 21. So here we see that he started off, and we kind of pulled in here uh, in verse 6 there, that he was trying to get their attention, and, and they're saying, you know, all of these things I've been telling you, let's put it all in a very simple, direct way. I just want you people to learn from me, Paul is saying. I just want you to learn from us, be it a Paul or Apollos or a Cephas. I want you just to learn from us because we are following Christ. We are just being obedient to what Christ has called us to do. So we want you to learn from us. That's what God has used us in your life for is to be a witness or, as we will see, be an example for you in your walking with Christ. 
Because if you don't learn from us, and if you go beyond the scriptures, go beyond what is written, and you start adding things like, oh, the minister needs to do this. Well, where does that see in the, in the scripture? No, I don't see it. But I, that's what I want. Well, then you're adding to the scripture. You're adding expectations to the ministry you can't, they can't live up to. Are you with me? Are you awake? Yeah? On the ground? Okay, good. We're just warming up, so here we go. Um, but here in verse 7, you can see that he continues and he says, for he asks three questions. Did you notice three questions he's going to do this? Because Paul is going to, oh, I like Paul a little bit. I, I, one of the things I ask not to be in my life is sarcasms, but I used to be very sarcastic, and God is kind of weeding that out of me. But I love it when I read Paul because he's very sarcastic here. He's very direct, and, and I, he's, he's very edgy. So I kind of relate to Paul a little bit. He says, for who makes you differ from another? The second question he asks is, what do you have that you do not, did not receive? And then finally, he asks the third question at the end of 7. He says, why do you boast if, as if you had not received it? See, because they were so puffed up as a Corinthian Christians there, the pride was their problem. Yes, they were picking and choosing leaders, and they wanted certain expectations of their leaders, but the bottom line issue was the sin of pride was causing the division within the church. That was it. And so that's why he says, I don't want you to be puffed up in verse 6. I don't, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be really focused on the Lord and following us in our, 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 you know, as you learn from us as we're teaching the word of God. But you know, as cliques and having these different apostles that you're following, the cliques weren't the problem, but the pride was the problem. And now Paul gives him these three questions. Who makes you to differ from one another? Or if, if there's a difference between us, it isn't because of what you've done or what the leader did. It's because of what God has done in us. So there's no reason to have pride because of what some achievement that they've done. God has done that work. So why are you so prideful? Now, you know, there was a saying, so, oh, God, please uh, help me to be to, 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 to not be prideful. And then the response should really naturally be is, what, what do you have to be prideful for? What do you have to bring to the table that is worth anything? Right? See, it's a mindset. We don't have anything. We can't bring anything. There's no, God is, is our value. God is what makes us anything of any worth. It's nothing what we can do. So the second question is, what do you have that you do not receive? See, everything we have has come from God, and there is no reason for pride. Oh, did you see what I've achieved? No, God gave you that achievement. Oh, do you know the abilities that I have? God gave you those abilities. Do you see my, my portfolio? God has blessed you with that portfolio. You see, if you have that mindset of understanding that you receive all and it has been given to you, your abilities from God, then you are not going to be prideful because you're humbled the fact that God even is doing that work in your life. And it's so tough because sometimes I bring this back to young men because young men can have a very big challenge with pride because we're just conquerors you know god's told us you know take the hill and you know let's go take them and we'll fight them and but if, apart from god you really can do nothing young men you really can't you just can become pride and pride before the fall so a matter of time you'll come crumbling down 
That's why it's so important to stay humble and understand that everything comes from God. And he says, why do you glory as if you did not receive it? As if, if what you have spiritually is, is you, you think you've done anything spiritually to make you some spiritual person? Anything that changed spiritually in your life is because it came from God. The deep faith is because of the result of God. The ability to even trust and have faith in God, it comes from God. So why do you glory in it as if you were your own accomplishment? Like you've accomplished this great spiritual feat. Did you notice? I can, I can recite an entire chapter, word for word, without even looking. Spiritual pride. Like you've somehow you've done that. No, God has given you the ability to memorize and to be able to quote. And yes, you did the effort. You, yes, you've re repeated it over and over and over. But that is what God has given you, put on your heart to actually do. But don't turn that into spiritual pride. Just be humble and say, oh, God, thank you for etching that on my heart. So if something ever goes wrong and I need to go back to your memory, I'll go back to my memory, you're going to bring that back to light to me so I can use that in time of my need. Having that humbleness of what God is doing in your life. And so he, Paul is here is just really just trying to humble these proud, these proud people here in, uh, uh, in Corinth. But these three questions shouldn't be the only three questions we should be asking. There's other questions. Do I truly give God the credit for my salvation or does somehow you taking credit for that? Oh, you should hear my story. Oh, you won't believe what I've done. And it, you know, those words, you just have to trigger on that because you realize who's getting the credit for, the, for your changed life. God gets the credit. You and I shouldn't get any credit. Don't take any glory away from God, right? Everything should be to him. Why do you glory in it? Or, or maybe another question is, do I live with a spirit of humble gratitude and thankfulness? I think that's another question that it sometimes plague a prideful person spiritually. That somehow, of course I'm going to have this. Of course, I've done it. I've, I've come to church every Sunday. I, I carry my Bible everywhere I go. Of course I'm going to be blessed by God. Of course I'm going to uh, have everything I want because I asked it. I named it and claimed it and blabbed it and grabbed it and everything else that people do today. To somehow get credit. No, no. God is the one who you should be humbled in, with such gratitude and thankfulness. The fact that God is working in your life. That he hasn't finished with you. He's, he's faithful to complete you in this walk. And so we have to be that humble servant. Life is a gift from God. Our abilities, our blessings come from him and him alone. Now in John 3, verse 27 and verse 30, he says that, you know, John the Baptist is there and there's a conversation going on. But John the Baptist does a witness. He's a spectacle. He witnesses in front of the people and he says to them, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Nothing. And he goes on in verse 30, he says, he must increase, but I must what? Decrease. 
So to stay as a humble servant, we must understand that God has to increase and be dominant in our, our frame of mind. Our, our mindset needs to be as a humbled and recognized God is bigger than us. It's bigger than anybody and anything else that we can set our eyes upon. And that we are, he needs to increase and we must decrease. And that is what's going to help us to live a humbled, content life. You get those flipped over, and you will go into chaos, I guarantee you. Because you've heard me say this so many other times, the more you think about yourself, the more what? Miserable you become. Because you've increased yourself. Or you've allowed someone else in your life to speak something in your life to boost you up, and somehow you've, you've listened to all of it, and you've, t- you've grabbed it so much of uh, from a simple thank you, and you're, oh, you're, God is just really using you, and you've taken that, and you've gone to a higher level, and you've actually <laughs> believed that somehow you had anything to do with it. You're just being, we're just to be just be obedient, immediate obedient servants. That's all we're to be. And let the power of the Holy Spirit work through our lives to do the things that God has called us to do. He equips us. But we have to remember it is our own opinion, our own opinion, our ways of our own th- talking to ourselves that causes us to feel so important. And we have to be very careful of that, that we do not have this really high opinion of ourselves, that, we've, that we replace the value or the proper place of God in our life. Do not become queen of your life. Don't become king of your life. Let the king of kings be king. Amen? Now Romans 12.3 even says something very specific and I wanted to add this because it just it came back as I was studying and I love this verse in 12.3 it says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That is such a powerful verse. If it's not one of those verses where you write it down in your three by five cards and and, use that through the day and meditate on that, that there's so much there in that one verse alone that you could help you if you're struggling with pride today. Recognize that it's only by God's grace. Now in verse 8 here of uh, chapter 4, he continues his oh edginess here, (laughs) working with these people. And he says, you are already full? You are already rich? You have reigned as kings without us? And indeed, I could wish you did reign that... We also might reign with you. So he's kind of a little sarcastic here. And he says, wait a minute. Are you think you've already arrived here? Like you've completely filled and got it all together. You're act together here. You're full. You're rich. You're acting like you're in a place as a king. And, and you're reigning over your own life. And you've got everything in control. And everyone just beckons to what you want to in your life. That's not the way it's supposed to be. 
you Corinthians seem to have it all together. It's, it's funny that we as apostles have nothing, as he will conceive, because Paul is going to use some very strong sarcasm here to get to the, the bottom line of these Corinthians, because he's trying to shake them out of their pride, self-willed thinking. Because that self-willed thinking will absolutely paralyze and cause division in the body. Even though Paul says, oh, I wish we were arrived. I wish we were already complete in Christ. I wish God was reigning. I wish we were already reigning with him and, and serving him right now. But that's not the case. But you act like you've already arrived. And you're not teachable. You're not receiving. You're prideful. Verse 9, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. So Paul's saying, you, you think you're, you're spiritually arrived and you've somehow got it all. You're rich, you're full, you don't need anything. And us as apostles, look at our lives. God is, has, as apostles, as men, we're, we're made last, condemned to death. God has displayed us as a spectacle to the world. Instead of being full and rich and reigning as royalty, the apostles were on display of a humiliating spectacle to the world. And that really bothered the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians thought it was it was beneath them and it was it was it was unspeakable horror to think that you would die for your faith to live anything but rich and and wealthy and having it now on this earth like you're you're the king you know you're you're the son of the of the king so you should have all this wealth and and prosperity and live like we're already arrived and paul said wait a minute we're apostles and we're sitting here on last and going to death and we're making a spectacle in front of the entire world because people think we're crazy the word here spectacle means theater we get the word is Theatron, which is the where we get our word theater, where Paul is saying we have been a spectacle to the world. It's like a theater. Everyone's watching our lives and going, look what is going on with these people's lives. Not only man can see what's going on in our lives, but even the angels are seeing what's going on in our lives. And everyone sees it. This kind of humiliation was the greatest horror to the pride of the Corinthian Christians. Because the Christians there had two problems. They were proud of their spirituality, like they've already arrived, they already know it all. And they are also, they were embarrassed for Paul because of his weakness and his humble state that he's finding himself in. And Paul's going to address this. He continues in verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. We're fools to the world. The world looks at us and they say, they're fools. They have nothing. What is, what is going on? Can't they get their life straight or go do something and make money and have a big house and do all look good, smell good? The prominent name. He says, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise? So he's doing a comparison, a contrast. You sit there and think you're wise, but we're sitting here looking like fools for Christ's sake? We are weak, but you are strong? 
You are, you are distinguished, but we are dishonored? So he's, he's kind of really just putting it out there saying, if you're followers of Christ and you proclaim to know Christ and you are believers in Christ, but here we are apostles that God's called us as leaders of the church, why is there such a big comparison here? Why do you look like we're something wrong and something going bad and, 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 and looking the way we are? And you think the only way you can be a Christian is if you're really wise of yourself and you're really strong in yourself and you're distinguished among everybody else? The problem is, is that we become fools as Christians in, this, in the eyes of, of man for Christ's sake because we don't follow the standards of men. If you don't follow the way the world tells you to live and think the way the world thinks, they look at you and I as Christians and think we're fools. How can you not think about this? What do you mean is you want to live a content life? You're supposed to go out there and get as much as you can get. What do you mean you, you don't live like the world and dress like the world and talk like the world? You are fools because that's not the way it is. This is the new day, brother. And that's what, what Paul was having. Paul was doing things that were Christ-focused. Christ, he was just being obedient, and it took him down paths that these Corinthian believers said, you guys are, you look like fools. Why would you put up with that? Why would you put up with the beatings and all these other things that are coming your way, Paul? Why would you go get yourself in jail again? You're, you're being a fool for Christ. It's not like he asked to be in jail, did he? He was just being obedient, and the enemy was coming after him, and the world was taking him, putting him in jail. And even though he knew it was risk of being in jail again, what did it stop him from being obedient and doing what God's called him to do? No. There's going to be a time, and even in this society, we have a radio station, and the word is out there, and word verse by verse teaching is taking place. There's going to be a time which is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. There's going to be persecution for teaching the truth of God. Some people will say you're a fool to keep your teachings on air so they can find you and come and put you in jail. Are you, cl are you clicking with me here? Paul was dealing with the same thing back then. He was going from place to place to place teaching the truth. And the Jews uh, were condemning him and persecuting him. The, uh, the non-believers, everyone was trying to come after him. But that did not change his focus. His focus was on his master and he was going to be humbled. He was going to be faithful in doing what God's called him to do. Even though he is a spectacle, even though God was using him to actually bring to light everything that God was doing in his life. And it's very easy for them to sit there and go, Paul, I don't understand this. You were a Pharisee of Pharisees. You could have been a, remain a Jewish rabbi who has all the money and all the power and all the name recognition. You had the house, you had the, you go anywhere and everyone bowed down to you. And you gave all that up to have nothing for Christ? That's foolish in the eyes of most people. 
Or what, what, better yet, God, okay, Paul, you, you, you went to and followed Christ, but why didn't you just compromise and be flexible in your, 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 the truth and be flexible and, and just agree with the Jewish legalists in the, in the Jerusalem church? Why did you have to go minister to Gentiles? See, if you wouldn't have gone minister to the Gentiles, you wouldn't have the problems you're dealing with right now. But what did God call him to do? To go minister to the who? To the Gentiles. Who is he going to listen to? His, his weak brother on the right or on his left? His family? His spouse? His The other leaders that was part of his inner circle buddies? No, he's going to be stay very focused on what God's called him to do. But we see that even in Acts, in, in, throughout Acts, how they were constantly, he, they were, he was probably challenged of, why are you, did you take these steps to radically and faithfully and humbly serve Jesus this way? Why don't you just keep your old life? You had it really good. But remember, Paul asked the Lord a very simple question. If you remember in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember when that happened? Remember he says, Saul, Saul, why do you... Why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the goat? Remember? And he was so humbled. He was so broken as a man at that point. All he recognized is he just completely at that moment recognized he was Lord. That he was the master of his life. And all he could respond is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And guess what? Lord said to him, very simply, arise and go into the city and you will be told what, must, what you must do. See, he doesn't always give us every little detail of what he's going to ask you to do once you give your life to Christ. All we are to respond is, Lord, what do you have for me to do? Right? He'll then say, just take the first step. When you get there and you're obedient and you take that first step, then I'll give you the next step. And then when you're obedient to that step, then I'll give you the next step. But what happens is when we get prideful, we demand that we get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And that pride causes division. Especially if you're not teachable. And that's what happens here is they become to a point in their life where if they're not like Paul, they think that was foolish. How crazy can you be like that, Paul? We're not going to be like that. We want our life, yes, we want to, to, to know God, but we want our life the way we want it. That's how it works, people. That's why he even gives another contrast. You're a strong man, we're weak in, in verse 10, at the at end of verse 10. It was Paul's personal suffering that he discovered that his spiritual strength was the result of personal weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. He understood Paul's life, realized 
He actually becomes strong when he's at his weakest point in his life. Because he realizes he is not in control, that he has to trust and by faith that God is in control of his life and watch God work in his life to lift him up in these, during these very troubling times. That you and I as humans are not to sit there and go, my life is falling apart, I'm losing everything and everybody, but I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to go to learn on man's wisdom and I'm going to go to this teacher and to this psychologist, this psychiatrist, this social worker, whatever it is, someone's going to show me how, but I'm going to figure this out. Versus stop and saying, Lord, you're in control of my life. What do you want me to do? how simple that is because he will meet you right where you are at and that will take faith okay I, I, I recognize that's going to take faith for you to take that step and we're here to help you and pray with you to help you take that step there's power in prayer and we want to help you take that step whatever you're dealing with today God is going to meet you right there because they thought they were strong because they had it all together. And, and Paul says, no, when I was weak, it's the point in my life is when he becomes strong. Because there was a time in Paul's life when he glorified in his own strengths. He had it all. He had the best education. He had the best position. He was a prominent leader of society. He was a wealthy man, had everything going for him. He had no wants. But you can gain the whole world, but still lose your soul. And he was trusting in his own strength until he met Jesus Christ. And then he discovered that what he thought was assets, what were strengths, what he had something to contribute, were actually really liabilities. Go back in Philippians 3, you'll see that laid out. But the Corinthians here... We're very proud of their spiritual knowledge and achievements. The fractions in the church were proud of themselves and their human leaders and their favorite preachers and, and the knowledge that they heaped up for themselves. But understand, strength comes when God gets the glory and not man. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10 says, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Watch God become so strong in your life at your weakest points. And embrace that and trust in him because he is faithful. He'll never leave you or forsake you, my brothers and sisters. I assure you. He also showed a distinguished because. He says, you're distinguished and we're dishonored? That's really, the, really kind of the crux or the key point here for these, these Corinthians in their pride. They just couldn't honor or, or see of any value from men or women who are sold out for Christ. And seeing how they're persecuted and maybe in their eyes not do without or be content and not do the way what the world's doing. They, they couldn't honor people like that. They didn't look, they kind of, mm, 
I don't want to hang with those kind of people. I want the ones who have a, look like they have their life, a lot of money and a lot of, you know, all the hoopla and everything else that goes along with. That's what I want. So they couldn't, they, they, they thought they were, they were distinguished and the apostles were just dishonored. They were just, they have nothing, there was no value there. In verse 11, he says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We hunger and thirst as apostles right now. We are poorly clothed. We don't have the finest threads, the greatest name brands. We're poorly clothed and beaten. Yes, the bruises you see and the blood and all these other things are coming from. Yes, you see that. And homeless. Yes, we, we don't even have a permanent place to call home. We seem to find place to place just to find a place because no one will take us in and keep us. We don't have anything. We don't have the money. We don't have anything. We just find ourselves. God is gracious to provide a shelter for us this day and a different shelter maybe another day. And yes, it's scraps here today, but yes, we've got a full meal over here. Someone's gracious to give it to us. But we live by faith each day because we know that God is going to faithfully provide for us because he says he will. But to the Christians in Corinth, that was craziness. How can you as a Christian live like that? Is there something wrong with your faith if you're not naming and claiming it? That's the mentality that these people had. They didn't understand they were just being obedient to Christ, and this is where God had them for that moment. That's what kept them humble. <laughs> it's very humbling for these apostles. But even today, the church is heavy with the same attitude of the Corinthian Christians. They were, those, those Christians were concerned about the image of worldly success and power, and many of them despised Paul and the apostles because they did not display that image of power and prestige and, and, and notoriety and, and have name recognition. And trust me, today we have no shortage of that mentality today. We have ministers that are out there looking to get their name out there. They want their name prominent. They want what their things they're doing become very prominent. They want people to lift them up and their name because of the things that they're doing for in Christ's name. They display this image of worldly success and power. And unfortunately, too many Christians today look for that preacher, that minister, that teacher who displays that kind of success and power. I've heard it so many times. Have you, do, you, do you listen to such and such? Who is that person? I, mean, I, I don't know who that is. You haven't seen him? He's gone viral on my Facebook, man. Viral. He's everyone's he's sharing right and left. It's incredible teaching. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Did you read the book? Incredible book. Unbelievable book. Well-written book. Bestseller. Unbelievable. I ask one question. Is it scripturally sound? Well, I don't know. 
you're promoting a book that is not scripturally sound and you're heaping up and you're okay with that. Oh yeah, it's a great book, man. I'll pray for you. <laughs> In my mind, I'm praying for you because you've been deceived. You're, you're heaping up and following a preacher, a teacher, a minister that has a name recognition, an image of power and, and something because he wrote a book. And it's not even scripturally sound. You remember, right, the previous chapters? What's going to happen when that person gets to heaven and the fire tests all things? What happens? Will it last? Well, you're, we already know we're not supposed to add or delete from the word of God. So I lean on the fact that that baby's going to burn. All million copies of them. <laughs> because it's not sound. You're misleading people. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. And he says here in verse 12, Paul says, we labor. <laughs> Can you imagine? A minister is working. He's, he's working with his own hands. I know that's hard to believe that, yes, it's okay for the minister to work with his hands. It's not a dishonored thing. You know that. Don't look down at ministers who have to work like Paul did making tents. They were looking down at him. Oh, you're a tent maker. That was a very bad, that was not a good job. You know, you're a tent maker and you're a minister, you're a preacher. Hmm, you must not, you must not be doing something right. Be very careful that it happens still today. He's being, we're being reviled. But even though we're being reviled, we bless, Paul says. Yes, we are being persecuted, but we're going to endure through that persecution. Verse 13, we were being defamed. We're taking, our name is being brought down into the mud, but but we are going to entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. See, these Corinthians, they saw labor as being menial, that you shouldn't be doing that at this point as a minister. They looked down upon Paul because of that. But Paul's response, hey, I'm being reviled, but I'm, we're going to bless them anyway. You, you can slander me, you can slander the apostles, you can do whatever you want to do, but we're going to show you kindness regardless. You may think we're wimps because we have to go out and work. But we're not wimps. We're going to bless you and we're going to endure through every persecution that comes our way. Where do they get that kind of strength? It's because they stayed humbled and they recognize God is in control and it's going to give them the strength to do what he has called them to do. They didn't get their pride straight. Oh, what are people going to think of me? Oh, I better put a smiley face on and look good and smell good so that I can get a, a veneer, a facade to people think I'm a spiritually arrived. Those are tricks of the enemy, and you, you never want to go down there. Because Paul blessed when criticized. Just as Jesus commanded in Matthew 5.44 that we are to bless those, show kindness to those who come against you. And he endured it by the grace of God, and he did not retaliate to anybody who came against him. Paul tried to appease his brother. 
We see in the scripture he was constantly trying to appease and to, to, uh, to try to deflect some of the things that was coming and try to move into kindness and show love. And, because that's what he was called to do is to show love. He was to stay humble and to show love as a servant. But what was the result of his efforts? Everyone's like, well, I'm showing them kindness. Why are they still coming against me? I'm showing them love. I've gone out of their way to help them in their time of need. They called. We rushed. We went to the house. We sat there in their dimest, deepest, darkest time of life. Why is it that they turn around and coming against us? Oh, that, blow, that had bothered my mind in the ministry for so many years. How I would call, be called out to a time of the most deepest stressful points in their life and spend hours and days with them to help them through the toughest of times and then find them being the same ones that came back and actually reviled me and persecuted me and come against me and everything else. I used to go, how, how can that be in the ministry? But then you read the scriptures and you say, Paul, you make it very clear to us in the ministry why these things happen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he will give you the strength to endure to go through it. It's the same thing in the family level, right? Why does your spouse do the same and say and did something that may have hurt? Why did your kids do what they did? Why, why did mom or dad or the brothers or sisters do what they did? Remember, keep your eyes on Jesus. He will give you the strength to endure and guide you through on his well-lit path for your life. He will show you. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll bring you through the dark valley. Didn't promise to keep you from the dark valley, did he? He just said he would walk with you through the dark valley. Paul understood that. As long as he kept humble, he kept in love and in loving people, even though all that was taking place, he tried, he tried, people still treat him like filth of the world, the, the offscoring of all things. Back in these days, the Greeks would take the most weakest, the most vulnerable people who were sick and plagued, and they used to sit there and take these people down to the sea, and at times they would throw them into the sea to kill them, to get rid of them, to, because there's some way, some way, they're weak, they're not strong, we've got to get rid of this plague, we've got to get rid of this, this famine, we're just going to throw them in there, they're just scraps, we'll just, that's how they thought. Or like the spectacle that God has made Paul and the apostles, these spectacles were also the weak and those vulnerable, those slaves, they would bring into the theater, the spectacle, they would use them at the end of the theater. There's big old amphitheaters that we see, and they bring them in, and they would then having to put them in the middle and watch the beasts come out and have a, have a fight and field day. That's why Paul used the word spectacle, because he understood that these people in, in, would understand what he meant, that yes, we're like those slaves, those weak that are being thrown in the middle of the amphitheater and the beasts are just coming after us. 
but we're going to endure and we're going to be stay faithful we're going to stay humble and we're still going to love because that's what God has called me to do regardless of who comes against me and Paul makes it very clear for him and he goes in here and continues here on his third responsibility or characteristic and that is being a father to them a father who is tender and gentle here he says and says here in um, verse 14 says, I do not write these things to shame you but as my beloved children I warn you he says I'm not I can understand right now by basically what you're reading and getting here that you're embarrassed by your actions. You're probably guilty of those actions. I'm not here to shame you. We're not here to guilt you because that is not my intent as a pastor. That is not Paul's intent of writing here. He says, but I'm using this and trying to help warn you of the pride that's in your life, that spiritual self-willed pride that's going to de destroy you and destroy the local body church. Paul had already shown in the, in the letter in chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, he already showed that he compared the, all of us together as a family in the church. We're a family. And as a family, he was the spiritual father. He was the one that was looking over. He was making sure, he was making sure you as children are fed. That's what ministers are to do. It's to feed the flock as shepherds. Fathers are to feed the children. And the fathers don't have to say, well, you know, it's Sunday. I don't feel like getting up. I, it's a beautiful day. I want a barbecue. I'm not going to show up. Everyone shows up, they'll be on their own. I'm going to go and have my barbecue, and I'm not going to show up. That wouldn't be faithful as a pastor. Right? That wouldn't be faithful to you. Paul says, I'm going to show up regardless of how I feel. I'm going to be humble. I'm not coming here because it's a balance here because as I teach things, I'm not trying to get my, a tendency to people to think I'm somehow spirit, more spiritual than anybody else, that I'm some sinless person that is, is perfect or somehow because I'm teaching the word of God. But you know as well as I do, I'm a human just like you. I'm a man just like you that it's just God is using me in a different capacity, in a different way than he is using you at this time. And nowhere does Paul ask and call himself or ask anyone to call him father, being who's over the church. We're not to do that. You're never to call anyone in this position a father. We know that because he understood the teaching from Jesus back in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12, that you're not to call anyone in a spiritual position father. In verse 15, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. See, Paul started the church in Corinth. He was leading people to Christ. And all these people were then now like children to him. He was pouring into them and feeding them and helping them. And like a baby, helping them walk in their, in their walk in, with Christ. They, were, they couldn't walk. They just got saved. They didn't know anything about the word of God and the truth of God. That's when the father, the pastor came along and said, let me help you until you can start walking on your own, until you start hitting the adolescent. I always, it's funny because as a pastor, we always hear sometimes the teaching, you know, when you get first, I lead you, you know, I had the blessing to lead you to Christ and you get saved and it's like, oh, God is so good. This is, I'm free. I'm saved. 
pastor knows everything. And then you get into your adolescent Christian stage. The pastor knows nothing. I know everything. And then finally, you become an adult. Wow, mom, mom and dad really, actually, dad really actually knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I should have listened to dad back in the day when I was at, back at home. It's the same thing in the Christian life. We go through these stages where we don't know anything. We need to rely upon the pastor to teach or someone who's teaching who God's called to teach. And then you get to the stage in your life and your Christian life is like, well, I'm going to challenge everything. Why? 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 Constant why. Which is not a bad thing as long as you don't think, like an adolescent at times, thinks they're always right and you're always wrong. And then you grow up and you go, wow, I really didn't know as much as I thought. It was just knowledge. I was just puffed up with knowledge. I thought more highly of myself and because I could memorize and know the scripture. But I had no clue how to apply it. So many people I meet today that are in positions that they know the scripture. But there's no love. There's no application. There's no changed life. It's just knowledge. And it puffs them up. And it's not a place where you and I want to be really don't want to be. We want to have unconditional love that's the fruit of the Spirit that needs to develop. Amen? Well, he says, I'm not looking to shame you. I see the fact that you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. You've gone out there and heaped up all kinds of instructors. But remember, in the language here for instructor was a very specific position that they had back in those days. There were guardians or, or slave guides who would take the family's children and they would protectively take them to school make sure they're in place make sure they come back to the family for the master so that they took and watched over the kids for them like a nanny or something like that today they were they weren't they were in, they were responsible but they were not the father and the mother they were just a guardian at that point, the babysitter who was supposed to watch over. And he's saying to you, you have a lot of instructors. You're listening to a lot of people teach. But you have few fathers who are going to pour in and love you unconditionally. There's a lot of people out there listening to a lot of people. But those teachers don't know you. They're not invested in your lives. Ministers are to be invested in your lives, to, to pour in like a father, to make sure they're watching over you and, and care for you, be there to protect you and help you. That's, the, that's a responsibility of a minister in a local church. Not the fact that we want to get into your, into your life and control your life. That is absolutely not. We're never to lord over your life. You never see Jesus lord overing his disciples. He was always there available guiding and, and giving and, and warning the she, you know the sheep and warning the, the, his kids of the dangers that are out there but that's Paul saying here you don't have many fathers I have begotten you through the gospel we have this relationship this close relationship because of the fact that you, I was there and I saw and I poured into you and you've your life was changing and because of the fact that he was an apostle. He was appointed by God in a position of authority. 
And that's why in verse 16 he says, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. He's not saying that he was perfect. He's saying, what I'm doing is very focused on what the master wants me to do, the king of kings. My Lord is saying to do this is what I'm doing. If you need to learn, learn from me. Imitate me. Yes, I look like a fool to the world. Yes, I look weak to the world. Yes, I'm being dishonored. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm poorly clothed. I'm, I don't have a permanent home. I've been beaten. And I'm working hard to support myself in manual labor. And yes, I'm, I'm being made like filth of the world and an offscoring of all things. Like I've been no value to the average person in this world today. And I know that sounds crazy. But yes, imitate me. Not because of all these dis- dis- difficulties. But despite all those difficulties you're seeing going on in my life, just recognize what God is doing in my life and the fruit that comes from my life and power and the glory of Jesus Christ that shines through me. That's what he's saying. Because back in those days, he didn't sit there and say, I'm so nice to meet you. I Go forth. I hope you have a great week. And here's a Bible. Make sure you read your Bible when you leave. They didn't have Bibles back then. The only way is for them to gather together to hear the word and to see it displayed out by faith through the, through the minister. How great that must have been. Verse 17, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remain, remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul says, I can't be there. I'm teaching all these other churches, but I'm going to send Timothy, who is like a son to me in the faith. He's going to come. He's going to remind you of the things I taught you and remind you and continue to help and support you. And be an example there as a leader for you. Now, as we see in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 16.10, Timothy went, but he did not carry this letter with him. It went in a different direction, or different, by a different way. But he, Paul sent Timothy as his troubleshooter to go into that problem church to help clean that up. And then we'll wrap it up here. I know I'm a little over. So now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Oh, Paul's not coming. Paul's scared of us. Paul's never going to come here. That's what he's saying there. But I will come to you, verse 19, shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. See, even though they said, oh, Paul's not going to come here. He's not going to come back here again. He's afraid of us. We've got to, trust me, Paul was not afraid. If anything, that's one of the characters of this man. He was not afraid. But he says he knew he had a personal, his responsibility to be obedient to what God was calling to do to go around and teach these churches. And, that it got, and, and he says very clearly, if the Lord wills, his desire was to go back to see them. So his desire was right, but he understood it was going to be based on the Lord's will if he actually, when and if he gets there. It's the same thing we must learn too. You may have desires, 
But please do not make that desire so strong where you make it happen on your own, regardless of the will of the Lord. You must, if the Lord will, Lord, if it's your will for us to go, to go do or not, Lord, make it clear to us, show us, reveal it to us. Many people get squirrely on this and they go, oh, I have a desire. It must be from the Lord. I'm going to travel the world and forget my family and I, I, you know, I'm just going to have a great time. No, that goes contrary to many things in the scripture. The Lord did not tell you to do that. Make sure it doesn't conflict with the word of God as the Lord puts desires in your heart because it will never conflict. And be patient and wait for the Lord to show his will if you to go or not. That's what Paul is saying to him, to them. Because the power is in the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. It is not based on just saying certain words. Because even though people love just these fancy loving words and and images of success and talking big and everything else. But the problem is, is they talked big, but their walk didn't happen. Our walk needs to match the talk and the talk needs to match with what the scripture says. Because that test is going to happen. It's going to happen. And he finishes up here with verse 21. And he asks a question, what do you want? What do you want? As a minister to the people, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come and discipline you? Because I have the authority and the position to do that. And it's scriptural to come and discipline you because of your pride and the division it's causing in the church. I can do that. Or would you like me to come in love and a spirit of gentleness? I don't know about you, but I'd rather the Lord come and deal with you and me in a spirit of love and gentleness, don't you? <laughs> say, uh, please say yes. You, you do want the Lord to come and je- deal with you in love and gentleness dealing with your sin, right? How much more should we show the same grace and come in love and gentleness and tenderness to help another person? That's what a minister is to do. But if they're not teachable, right, parents? If the child is not teachable, they're not, they, won't, they won't correct based on a gentle, loving way. What are we to do as parents? If you love your kids, <laughs> this is a, if you love your kids, what are you supposed to do? Discipline. Do not spare the rod. Why? Because you're, as a father, you're responsible for those children. As a minister, I'm held responsible for those God has brought here to this flock. You will come, you'll see me come. You'll say, Paul, I will come to you in love and gentleness, or would you like me to come with the rod? Either way, I love you too much. Paul loved them too much to allow them to stay in the state that they found themselves.